You have to start at the bottom and understand photography and understand car racing and understand light and just how to use your camera in those situations. Don't just say like, I want to go shoot F1 or I want to go shoot Le Mans and I want to go shoot IndyCar and nothing else. Because if you're good, you'll get there, but you have to start at the small stuff so that you can get there eventually and nothing happens quickly. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, here in the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is Jamie Price, motorsport and automotive photographer, who started his career as a jockey that then led him to photograph cars, and now he makes a full-time living photographing a variety of motorsports. Jamie's images have been published around the world in magazines such as the New York Times, Car and Driver, FormulaOne.com, Lamborghini, Top Gear, Popular Mechanics, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN, to name a few. Jamie is actually the first motorsports and automotive photographer that we've had on the show, and just in general, the first kind of sports photographer that we've had on the show. On Golden Hour, we try to get as many different types of creators on the show as possible, and hopefully this is just the first of many other sports and motocross photographers that we interview in the future. I think sports photographers are some of the hardest working and amazing photographers in the industry, and it was really amazing hearing Jamie's story. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you guys to subscribe to the Golden Hour podcast. Without any further ado, let's listen in on my interview with Jamie Price. All right, so we're here with Jamie Price, motorsport and uh, automotive photographer, as well as a sports photographer. We're, we're going to go, you're also a, like a, used to ride horses and yeah, stuff. So yeah. we're going to learn all about you. But what is really exciting is you're actually the first uh, sports and automotive photographer we've had on the show. And we were just discussing this before we started rolling. That group of photographers is really underserved and especially on online, social media, yeah. that kind of thing. Can you speak to that? I, I've always loved sports and when I became a photographer, it was just a natural progression to put the two together. And as I've become, you know, more ingrained in the professional photography community and with camera brands and different, different groups that are involved in photography, Mm -hmm. I guess people just almost tend to ignore that sports photographers are out there. Like you see a, an amazing picture of Usain Bolt or, you know, a, a racing driver at the Indy 500 and you never see the photographer that's behind that or hear who that is. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of made it my personal mission to m- help people understand how much work goes into sports photography, but also motorsport photography. Mm-hmm. And it's become um, something that I'm passionate about, like, telling how that is and telling how difficult it is because you know with wedding photography you have your name slapped on every picture like it's <laughs> yeah. it's almost mandatory that the bride say who shot your wedding like mm-hmm. it's very rare that you don't have somebody credit who shot your wedding yeah but with sports photography athletes and teams and drivers and you know brands will just rip photos and good point. you never see you never hear who it is you never see yeah. any behind the scenes you never see what it took you never mm-hmm. see the days out standing in the rain to make it um it's <laughs> a good point so sports photographers i i just feel like they're you just see almost, it all over the news you see the yeah. those images you yep. use lebron james uses yep. it as his profile pic whatever and, it, right? and it just has like an ap logo or a getty images logo but you never see more than that you never hear about the person that yeah. took a risk like you know there's some insane stuff that gets made at the olympics mm-hmm. and it's all about the athletes mm. and the athletes are obviously a huge part of it but it took somebody taking that picture to absolutely to make it 
something that you then see on the news or you see on Facebook or Instagram, wherever you see it. The Olympics is really an exciting time for the photography community because often camera manufacturers like Sony, Canon, Nikon kind of release their, their flagships. Especially when it's in Japan. Like <laughs> Japan, like I've been hearing from from my colleagues in the photography industry, they're like, Japan, 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 because yeah. all of the camera brands yeah. and everybody is based in japan sure everybody i don't yeah. i mean i, I just saw the, i just saw the one dx3 last yep. week at ces and then nikon had in a box the d6 under glass, the d6 yep. um sony's coming out with some stuff yeah like olympus is coming out with some stuff and Fuji's uh, coming out with stuff yeah i mean even olympus yeah everybody. the m1x is actually pretty impressive yeah. but for what it is micro four thirds but um but yeah, those flagship cameras that, you know, I've been in this kind of YouTuber world for a while, like people have picked them up because they have some pretty impressive specs for video shooters, for uh, obviously for photography as well. But it's kind of like, oh, you know, it's got 20 frames per second, which who is needs cool, but like, who needs that? Somebody needs it. Yeah. I need it. You're raising your hand. Yeah. Like there's, <laughs> I, I don't need it, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sports photographers out there that do need it. And when camera makers are are pushing their flagship models, you know, they push it toward the sports photographers and yeah. the, those of us that are making a living shooting sports for a living and 95% of the rest of photographers in the world don't need the capabilities of that camera, but we do push it a lot. Yeah. That's what's, that's what the kind of point I'm making is like, it seems like the sports photographers do kind of, they're like the cutting edge niche yep. that like pushes the tech yep. as far and as hard as it can yep and then the benefit is is the wedding photographers who buy a 5d instead of the 1d they benefit from that technology that was designed for the sports photographers that gets kind of carried down you know to the lower levels and motorsport is even more niche within that so really? like i'm taking all of that like that the camera is made for sports and you know most of the time you're not going to need super high ISO stuff. Yeah. But in what I'm doing, I'm shooting in the middle of the night and it is pitch black. Like there's, there's no lights. There's just headlights. So, and those are extremely the, that's a crazy contrast between dark and crazy high bright. So you need crazy dynamic range to to fix those images. I'm pushing a camera as hard as it can go. Essentially. There's like some new technology as well with some of these newer things with AI that kind of can detect cars and, airplanes (coughs) can detect cars and airplanes and all sorts of different things i mean it's really fascinating what's going on with the tech i'm sure that's exciting for you it is exciting um but some of your photos let's just kind of give people who might not be familiar with your work a little uh a little history lesson your photos have been published around the world in magazines newspapers and websites including the new york times hot rod uh, Maxim, Cycle World, Auto Week, Autosport F1 Racing Magazine, Motorsport Magazine, Formula1.com, Lamborghini.com. These are all things that you're listing on your website. Uh, you also freelance and work for Lamborghini, Ferrari, Audi, Acura, Red Bull, Ford, Goodyear. Uh, it, the list goes on and on, honestly. <laughs> and you can learn more about Jamie on his website, jamiepricephoto.com. Um, really incredible list and i'm sure there's plenty of people that are missing from that list yeah it's it's hard to to weed it down and and like i was saying there's a lot of the images that are mine that aren't even credited anywhere it's just credited to lamborghini or credited to you know race teams that i work for and no one ever knows that it's mine but is that part of just the freelance kind of world that's part of the freelance world that's part of the sports photography world um 
you can love it or hate it. But are you, are you allowed to share those images on your Instagram and whatnot? I haven't run into too many issues where I have an NDA where I have to sign where I can't release something. Um, a lot of it, honestly, is stuff that they do want out in the world, and especially with car racing, you know, it's not hard to see that I was there. It's not hard to see that sure. this car brand was there. You know, it's all very public. It's on TV. It's on major broadcast networks yeah. live. So, you know, nobody's really hiding a lot. Um, sure. So it's, I'm, I'm honestly like, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, like, and said that these are some of the people that I would work with, I wouldn't have believed you because I've had some incredible opportunities and just some of the things that I've been able to do has, it's still just crazy. I mean, you're here in California for a, a shoot. What are you, what are you shooting? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing the Supercross race, uh, the Monster Energy Cup Supercross race, and I've never shot Supercross before. So nice. it's, for those that don't know, it's motorcycles on dirt. Yeah. And I have the honor of working with um, one of the riders, Chad Reed. And Chad, I've met previously through some of the Lamborghini stuff that I've done. He's a driver with Lamborghini. Mm -hmm. And I met him last year and we hit it off. And he said, do you want to come to a couple of Supercross races this coming year? And my answer is obviously, absolutely. <laughs> so he's he's a legend. He's a two-time champion. Um, one of the most famous riders still riding. And to be able to just, I don't, honestly, tomorrow, I don't care who wins and loses the race. I'm there just to cover Chad. So nice. it's cool. Like I kind of want to attack it in a very documentary type way. Mm -hmm. Um, not commercial, like not lit, just all natural light, just following him around like a fly on the wall. Nice. And it's, I'm, I'm pumped cause it's a new sport. So that, that is exciting unto itself. Yeah. It's, it's creatively probably kind of freeing for you to go from somebody sitting behind a, uh, a chair with a giant pane of glass in front of them yep. to out in the open you know, dirt bike, it's yep. like you're riding a horse. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know anything about Supercross really. I've watched, I've done my research. Oh, I've done intense. a lot, I've done a lot yeah. of YouTube video, you know, research, but I don't know anything about the sport. Um, and in some ways that's, that's a blessing so that I can go into it with totally like pure eyes, pure eyes. <laughs> I'm really excited just to, just to hang out with Chad, but also see his world because uh -huh. he's, he's very special. And being that he's retiring this year, this is his last. Mm. This is his last chance to to ride the Supercross circuit. Wow. So this is like important documentation. It, it honestly him. is, and it's something that I'm not taking lightly. But I'm also at the same time nervous about it because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, but you do. I, I know how to take a. I know how to take a picture, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how the. I know the practice sessions are really short. It's like ten minutes, ten mm. minutes, and then seven or eight minutes qualifying, and then wow. nine lap race. Yeah. So. It's a quick not one. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot of opportunities to, to get what I need. Well, uh, everybody go follow Jamie on his Instagram page. Maybe you'll be able to share some images soon on your Instagram. Jamie yeah, Price for sure. photo. So let's uh, backtrack a little bit uh, and tell me about your career competing as a race jockey. Yeah, I, um, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Beautiful town. It is I'm a beautiful from town. Nashville, by okay. the way. So, so not, you know, East Coast. I've been there before. Yep. It's drivable. It's a yep. long drive. It but, is a very long drive. But I, yeah, I mean, I grew up in that type of so you, culture. So have you been to the Iroquois? Have you have you heard of the Iroquois? It's no. It's um, the big horse race that they have in Nashville. But I started when I was in high school. Um, and I've always ridden horses my entire life. Uh, since I was a little kid, basically since I could walk, my dad would throw me on the back of a horse, 
did you have horses? Like, yeah, we we had horses house, growing or? up. Um, wow. Not at the house, but I took riding lessons. Okay. And at some point in high school, my dad, I kind of took a little bit of a hiatus um, from horses from, I don't know, three or four years. And my dad asked me if I wanted to go down to Camden, South Carolina, where they have a huge racehorse training facility and gallop racehorses just for fun and just see if I like it and see how it goes. And I loved it. I fell in love with it immediately. It is the world's biggest adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a, a lot of athleticism and a lot of strength. Oh, yeah. And I just, I dove in head first. Um, I have now retired, but I rode 50 races and had 11 wins in my career. I moved to England and Ireland um, riding tell, racehorses. And tell me about that. What was, what was that? It was, I graduated from college and didn't ha- really have a plan, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I, I knew I loved photography, but I didn't know if I could make it into a full-time career. Mm-hmm. So I moved uh, with, you know, a couple thousand dollars and went and lived with a friend of a friend. And um, <laughs> they they very kindly put me up in their house for a couple months. And I just, I was, I was just being paid a little bit of, pounds in hand there was there was nothing official about it and sure i loved it and it was i met some amazing people but the entire time i was documenting all of my experiences with my camera i think i had a nikon d700 Mm -hmm. um 70 to 200 just you know a really basic kit for like really small sports photography but you know just started getting paid to do like random things covering horse racing in england and got a uh published on the front of the racing post, which is, you know, the biggest newspaper that covers horse racing in England. Mm-hmm. And it's a really big wow. deal. And I, you know, I didn't really appreciate it at the time. Um, but it, it kind of kickstarted my photography career to be covering a sport that I was also simultaneously competing in. So I would ride races. And then when I was done riding my race, I would go grab the camera. And it just kind of started evolving to the point where I got paid more to be taking pictures than I was to be riding the horses. Yeah. And it is really dangerous to be riding. So I got to a point where I said, I'm going to get hurt. You know, it's going to really hinder my photography career, trying to shoot with a broken arm or a collarbone. Have you seen Um, injuries? Oh yeah. I mean, I've had, I've lost friends. um, Really? You know, paralyzed from the waist down oh type gosh. of stuff. I uh, had no idea it was that dangerous. Yeah. You're, you're strapped to a, a motorcycle with ears that has a brain and <laughs> you know, it's not just going around in a circle, but you're also racing over, you know, four and a half foot fences as well. So it's, it's just dangerous. And I, I truly got to the point where I was, I needed to make a decision whether I was going to be a photographer or whether I was going to be a professional jockey. And I went with the photographer. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's but I'm, I miss it every day. There's, there's not a, there's not a week that goes by that I don't miss riding racehorses because there's nothing that can replace that adrenaline rush of being an athlete where you're, you're part of a team, you know, mm-hmm. you and the horse. And then behind the horse, there's also, you know, a team of people that takes care of the horse, the trainer, the, the people on, on the ground that muck stalls and, you know, sometimes gallop the horses in the morning and there's not a minute that goes by that I don't miss that that life and that adrenaline rush, but mm-hmm. I've kind of replaced it with car racing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, tell me about that whole... Well, I mean, before we move on to, to your career switch, you did put together a book of uh, photography 
um, work that was involved with uh, with with racing in England and Ireland. It's called Chasing. Yeah, I self-published a book. Um, you know, I sold a, sold a few copies. Uh, it would be hard to get a hold of now, but <laughs> that was in 2011 that I published it. Uh-huh. But it was it was basically just me with a camera in the barn, and mm. you know, at some of the races that I went to, um, just shooting my friends riding in the morning. And the beautiful thing about horse horse racing in England and Ireland is they gallop in open fields like where i was living in england is northern england it's up in up near scotland really wow and we were literally galloping up the side of a mountain wow and there's no trees there's you know it was freezing cold i mean it was 15 20 degrees in the mornings in in the winter time Mm. and you're just bundled up from head to toe on a horse that just wants to to run off with you and That's it was amazing. exhilarating and it makes for it's like a movie it is so cinematic. It, honestly it, it's, <laughs> it's that area has been very well documented in movies because it is so beautiful and you're looking at it between between a horse's two ears and you look around you can look over you know you're basically just strapped to the top of a horse and you can look around and it's it's like pinch yourself type moments where you you see the sunrise and there's actually an RAF base that was nearby so you'd hear the RAF fighters going between the between the mountains wow. and it was it was amazing and I I loved documenting that with the camera because it is so beautiful and horse racing itself is so beautiful and I I just took all of my experiences and just wanted to capture everything because I knew that I was going to forget it one day I was mm-hmm. going to forget those experiences forget what it was like forget what it looked like and forget the people that were there too because we've all moved on and had babies and gotten married and grown up and that's amazing story though and uh, i would i would love to see uh some of those images i should have brought they're they're available yeah there's they're buried in my blog somewhere (laughs) but in 2011 your career switches from uh, horses to horsepower uh, which is what your uh, about section says on your website. Yep. Really clever. Uh, yeah. Nice joke. There's there. not there's not really any other way, other way to put it though. It's true. Um, what happened? How did you how did you make that switch? Uh, what caused it? I've always just loved car racing. I was a huge Formula One fan growing up, and I just honestly car racing is very similar to horse racing. There's there's so many of the same elements. There's movement and color and, and you know, the danger aspect. Um, there's just a lot of the same ingredients that I love about horse racing. And when I discovered car racing, nobody in my family really likes cars. Nobody cares about car racing. My dad's not a big car racing guy. And I just was flipping channels on the old satellite TV and came across the Monaco Grand Prix in 1998. And I just fell in love with watching it. It was so foreign and loud and colorful and cool. And I just fell in love like with, with car racing as a sport. And I would, I was a subscriber. I was a subscriber to F1 racing magazine and I would flip through the pages as a, as a young kid, teenager. Um, and I would, I wouldn't read the articles. I would just look at all the pictures because I'm such a visual person. I really didn't even care about the articles i just wanted to see the pictures (laughs) of these superstars these these heroes of mine that were driving these cars at ridiculous speeds but also i wanted to know how these photographers captured that because there's so much just beauty in the pictures that they took it's not just like car parked on track and 
there's storytelling to that and there's just a narrative that I really wanted to to understand but I didn't understand because mm-hmm. I didn't understand photography and it wasn't until much later that I was able to you know through some internships I was able to get trackside to a few you know, really low level events. I shot lawnmower racing, um, nice. <laughs> which is the coolest sport in the world. Uh, do they some, soup up lawnmowers? Yeah. Okay. They're doing like, so it's si- not just a, no, no, they're doing like 60 miles an hour with like bucket helmets on, <laughs> on a track that is, you know, the size of a gymnasium type thing. Yeah. And these guys are, are three wheeling these things around and you know, mm. it's really dangerous. And I, <laughs> I went Are as there a, blades on the bottom? Too? No, they take the blades they take the blades and stuff off. Um, but they basically put like an engine. I mean, it's just a John Deere or a Husqvarna or whatever. Yeah. And they they like tune the engines and suddenly they're like ripping loud and <laughs> and doing sixty miles an hour. Are there rules to that? Like you Yeah, there's a, cha- a there's, there's championships. Or? It's crazy. It's like yeah. you know, it's, I I use this term lightly, but it's it's like very pure redneck racing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's nothing, you know, fathers and sons will kind of like work on their, their lawnmowers in the garage. And then on Saturday night, they'll bring them to, you know, the dirt track in their, their hometown <laughs> of North Carolina and yeah, Tennessee and Virginia fun. and South Carolina and, and race I, motorcycle or I, race these lawnmowers. I think I recall going to some of those, uh, at the County fair. And stuff. Exactly. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, it's stuff like that. Like it's, it's, you know, people eating turkey legs and drinking yeah. beer and hollering at their buddies yeah. on a lawnmower. Yeah. And I got to photograph that. <laughs> and it was just one it's of those fun. things that I, you know, there's, there's nothing more pure than, than lawnmower racing. Like, and, but at the same time, there's nobody that photographs these things. So when I rocked up as a newspaper intern with a camera there, they were like welcoming me with open arms because no one ever covers this type of stuff. Yeah. So it was just a foot in the door it was a foot in the door to car racing and it slowly just kind of built where I was doing that kind of stuff. But, you know, a little bit bigger events, um, proper dirt track, like not NASCAR style, but, you know, open wheel modifieds and just whatever I could get my hands on. I would do track days at local uh, racetracks in North and South Carolina, Mm -hmm. motorcycles, cars, people bring their, their souped up Miata out. And I was just practicing taking pictures of it. And eventually I I saw that um, a Formula One driver named Kimi Raikkonen was competing at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in the NASCAR truck race for his first truck race. So he'd never ridden, he'd never driven in a NASCAR race before. And Charlotte being my hometown, I emailed an agency in England and I might have even tweeted him. Um, but I, I had like kind of, it wasn't a cold call. It was, I had friends of friends that knew the agency owner. And I was like, hey, I live in Charlotte, I shoot motorsports. I would love to cover this for you. Do you have somebody covering it? And he was like, no, let, we'd love to pay you to do that. You know, we don't need a lot, just some generic editorial coverage. And that was my first time covering wow. a professional car race with proper credentials, covering a, a Formula One world champion driving in the NASCAR truck race. That's amazing. Yeah. So one thing that I'm kind of taking away from just this brief uh, interview already is, um, you just go after stuff. You just you you find something that you like and you just do it. There's no permission that you ask for. Uh, you just kind of make it happen. Yeah. And in that in that career in that opportunity right there, you know, you you saw an opportunity and you just took it. You you went for it. And um, not only that, it wasn't really given to you. You made it occur. You made it happen. Yeah. I think that's something a lot of 
um, people who listen to this who want to maybe be doing what you're doing can learn from that. Um, I get asked like multiple times a week, how do I become a motorsport <laughs> photographer? And the answer is that like, it's no one's going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. You have to go get it. And that's the same for, for photography in general. Yeah. It's, you know, I've listened to every self-employed pod, anything, self-employed, yeah. anything doesn't matter whether you're a car mechanic or a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer or a photographer, you have to, you have to find your own clients cause no one's going to bring them to you and mm-hmm. you have to, you have to make your own dreams. And I'm very fortunate that I feel like a lot of the right doors opened at the right mm-hmm. time for me. Um, and you grew up as a racer yourself. Yeah. So I was an athlete. It's so kind of in your blood. Yeah. The, and the, the side of me that just, just wanted to go out and do something for me for just because I loved it was ingrained in me from a very early age. But I also have the business background from my dad, who's an incredible businessman, entrepreneur, Mm self-employed, never went to college, just had to go make it for himself since he was a teenager. And, you know, growing up at the dinner table, you know, every night was a sales lesson Mm -hmm. because he was a salesman. He's, he could sell water to a duck. What did he do? He owns an electronic security business. So I ended up going to work for that business for a little while, um, doing sales and customer service, but it taught me a lot about business. Forgetting working for dad, it taught me a lot about business because dealing with people, like being a photographer, pushing the button is the easiest part of my job. Sure. That's, that's the part that is just literally all you had to do is frame it up, push the button, boom. Mm. But selling that picture, making money from it, you know, now supporting my wife and my kid and having yeah exactly like you know just having the having the the lifestyle that i want you know Mm -hmm. i have to i have to make that yeah of course um that's really interesting yeah i I grew up with an entrepreneur dad as well and a lot of others um that i've spoken to they grow up in that and i think um in a way we're fortunate to to have that totally Um, because not everybody is mm -hmm. but but there are you know people who are just born with that intuition and they don't need to have that necessarily and then maybe they meet someone who can mentor them finding a mentor if you if you're not born into it the way that we were um i'm very fortunate to have a a close relationship with my dad so i'm able to ask him questions about business and taxes and things like that where i was able to learn from him but um find a mentor or something yeah you know anything Um, anyone that'll listen really so so you, you did your first shoot how did that go? You know, what, what happened after that? Looking back on it, it, it was okay. Uh, I got, <laughs> I got pictures out of it. It wasn't a, it Client wasn't was a, happy with it. Yeah, he was, they were happy. Um, you know, they didn't pay a lot of money, so they didn't, they couldn't really be too unhappy. Sure. Um, but I did get paid for it and, and ultimately it was just a foot in the door to building a portfolio that I could then, you know, not just have track day stuff, but I had a professional racing event in my portfolio along with a lot of horse racing stuff. Cause for a while it was a, it was just a mix of whatever I was shooting yeah. and, you know, ner- helping to narrow down that portfolio and eventually, um, get to the point where I could put it in front of people that actually mattered was a, was a big step. And that, that NASCAR race was a big step. Yeah. What, what happened after that then? So, after that, uh, 2012, I would say was probably the big break that I had, if I'm going to call it that. And it didn't really come from 
anywhere that I expected. It came from a wedding. A friend of mine got married in June 2012, and he didn't give me a plus one to his wedding. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was dating a girl at the time, um, but he was like, I'll do you a favor. I've got a buddy of mine coming who's the marketing manager for Ducati Motorcycles. I'll put you guys next to each other and you guys can talk motorcycles all night. And, you know, at least you'll have somebody to talk to about something that you like. I was like, yeah, cool. That sounds great. So I ended up sitting at this wedding um, at the reception and you're going around the table introducing yourselves. And I turned to this guy on my right and he's introduces himself and he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a motorsport photographer. Even though I wasn't a professional motorsport photographer, mm-hmm. I was still selling alarm systems. But to me, all I am is a motorsport photographer. Mm. So I introduced myself as a motorsport photographer and, and he's like, oh, so you're the guy I'm supposed to talk to all night. And <laughs> he said that. Yeah. And, and I <laughs> so was your like, your friend also told him right, about you. Yeah. He teed him up to, or nice. teed me up to him and, and vice versa. So <laughs> have we, you met Jamie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, we ended up just hitting it off and just talked MotoGP and motorcycles and car racing. And we're just car guys and motorcycle guys. Nice. And at the end of the night, he was like, listen, I've got uh, an event coming up in a couple of weeks that I'd love to have you shoot for Ducati. And I was like, please, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't care what the number is, you know, high or low, yeah. I would love to do this. And the, the number actually ended up being r- more than fair. And it was, <laughs> it was incredible that so you were shocked with, yeah. I was shocked and they actually That's ended up the best. <laughs> it was, it was the best feeling. Good thing he didn't ask you what right. you would charge first. Cause I hate when they do that. Um, so how much is it going to cost? It's like, uh, what's your budget? <laughs> yeah. It, so it was, it was literally like how, so they actually ended up moving. So there was a lot of, um, wildfires in Colorado at that time. So this is, this is for Pikes Peak Hill Climb Nice. and Pikes Peak Hill Climb is one of the oldest races in the world, not just in America, but in the world. Really? Um, and it's super dangerous. They go from the bottom of Pikes Peak all wow. the way to 14,210. Or, I've driven that. Yep. Yeah. So it's on, gnarly. <laughs> yes. So on that, on that road that goes to the summit, they race cars and motorcycles That's, and trucks. And so that things. means there could be icy roads up there, huh? Ice, uh, ice at the time, um, dirt, fall off the mountain, fall off the mountain. Um, I have some insane stories from that race, but that was the first true time that I'd been really hired by a big brand to cover an event for them in the way that I wanted to cover it. And I will never forget. He told me, I was like, so, you know, shot list, like, what do you, what do you want from this? And he said, I don't, I don't want a thousand images. I don't want a hundred images. I want 10 images that blow me away from this event. Wow. That's powerful. And, and it, it resonated with me. I was like, okay, I can slow down. I don't have to just motor drive this and just shoot it, you know, just to shoot it. I can shoot it the way that I'm, I want to shoot it in the way that I want to see it shot. And he was asking for an artist, not a journalist. Exactly. He wanted, he wanted something that hadn't been done before because they were doing, they were going for a, a motorcycle overall time on the mountain with a guy named Carlin Dunn and a guy named Greg Tracy. So both of them are stunt riders. They, you know, you have actually seen Greg Tracy in pretty much every car commercial you've ever seen. He's that guy, but he's also, you know, just an insane nut on a motorcycle and really <laughs> fast. So I was basically hired to cover the weekend for Ducati, what it was like for those two riders. Um, and there's no, you've been up 
Pikes Peak. There's no armcos. Yeah. There's no railings. Mm-hmm. There's literally like a road with a cliff on either side. Mm-hmm. And you're standing on the side of the road as these cars and bikes come racing by at 115 miles an hour. And you're just like kind of dodging or have an escape plan. If somebody, if something goes wrong, you need to have an escape plan. And my escape plan is usually like duck. And hopefully the car will go over top of you because you're essentially lower than the road. Yeah. So (laughs) it was just an incredible week. Um, one of the hardest weeks that I've ever done. I've since done Pike's peak a couple more times and I still come back and just can't believe that, you know, people race up that road, but also that I was given that opportunity and that opportunity then led so i mean did you land those 10 images i landed the 10 images he loved them um how do you how do you get multiple locations you walk and it and at altitude it's it's excruciating it's cold um pike's peak you everything starts in the middle of the night so you get up at at 1 or 2 a.m and you drive to the mountain from your hotel if it's 20 or 30 minutes away and you go up the access road and the start finish line is about like, I don't know, like a 20 minute drive in once you're actually in the Pikes Peak mm-hmm. National Forest. And you then like park your car wherever you want to be. And then you walk wherever you wherever you can get to. So you're doing five, 10 miles a day, just up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, with your heavy equipment, with camera equipment mm-hmm. at altitude when it's 30 degrees and blowing, you know, 40 <laughs> miles an hour. And at the bottom of the mountain, it's 70 or 80 degrees. So you're mm-hmm. you're kind of dressed for all seasons. Like I've seen snow. I've seen thunderstorms up there. I was stuck at the summit um, for one race, for that race weekend for 14 hours because wow. it was snowing and they, they stopped the race for a while. And it is exceptionally dangerous. You know, one of the riders that I was covering that year, Carlin, um, he became a good friend of mine and he actually passed away this past year racing at Pike's peak. He, he, he died at the finish line essentially, um, and crashed. And it was, it hit me really hard because it really makes you step back and say, this is not just, you know, me standing on the side of the mountain or some guy just, you know, having fun on a bike, like people get hurt doing this. And it, it could just as easily be me because I'm standing in harm's way. There's nothing to protect me. Um, Oh man, I'm so sorry about that. That's yeah, insane. It, it it definitely hits you, you know, right in the feels because he was a great guy, also an insanely fast rider, and just a good dude. So, wow. I mean, that's I guess the. But that's sport, part of it, and on on is... on the back of every ticket, on the back of every credential and every ticket that's ever been given out in motorsport in the last seventy years, it says motorsport is dangerous. It literally mm-hmm. says that on the back of the ticket, and it's it's by by accepting that credential or accepting that ticket you acknowledge that it's dangerous and i've had close calls since then um you know i've i've had a lot of close calls where cars have crashed around me or near me and you have to have an escape plan and you have to know what you're doing wow jeez yeah i mean i would love to get into all that but i mean that's there's only so many hours in the day so uh pike's peak um, that gig happened. You got, you got the 10 killer shots. Yep. Got the 10 killer shots. And as it turns out, the, the person who was the, basically the CEO of Ducati, um, he left Ducati and went to Lamborghini and a job opened up for a series photographer to cover the Lamborghini super trofeo series in 2013. And I put in a bid, um, 
didn't really think I was going to get it. And I got a phone call and it was the guy that I had indirectly worked for at Ducati. I just didn't, I knew him, but I didn't know him that well. We weren't buddies. We had just met each other a couple times over the race weekend mm -hmm. at Pikes Peak. And he said, I saw you, you put in a, a bid to be our series photographer. I loved your work at Pikes Peak. It's yours if you want it. Oh, and wow. so I, I got a job with Lamborghini and it's still a contract job. Um, it's not staff, it's not benefits or anything. It's just contract work, but I've had it since that day in 2013. And oh, wow. most of my work, I can kind of trace back to meeting two or three people. And mm. that wedding was one of them. And it's, it's really like just blossomed into the career that I have that I'm very thankful for, but it's all about just networking and knowing the right people and meeting people, but also making, making those connections with people that are much more than mm -hmm. photography and pushing buttons on a camera. And you had to deliver too. I mean, you, you have to deliver. You had to be prepared. You had to know how to use your equipment. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had to, you had to impress them with those 10, 10 images to begin with. Yeah. So the fact that you were able to do that, I mean, because that was kind of your first big gig or whatever, you know, that led to this, but how did, how did you get those 10 shots? How were you able to become ready for that? Was there a lot just, is that a culmination of the horse photography, the, the lawnmower stuff, the truck? Yeah, like, it was it's just over the years. It was everything. And it was honestly, it was just a passion. It, it was that, but it was a, also a passion for for car racing and motorcycle racing and, and motorsport in general, yeah. because I've loved it for so long. I've always wanted to put my own spin on it. So, you know, it wasn't that I was consciously having to like make those 10 images. It was just go yeah. out and have fun. Yeah. And that's, and thankfully that's really what it's been to this day is just go out and have fun. Every weekend that I, I have a job or a race, I want to go out and have fun because when you don't go out and have fun, it, it really reflects in the images where if I'm stressed or I'm sick or, you know, you just have something weighing on your mind, mm -hmm. it's really hard to make those creative juices flow. Yeah. And when you just go out and you're like, this is, this is fun. I'm loving this. The sun is awesome or it's raining, but it's cool. Or, you yeah. know, you're just in a rhythm. It's with, it's the same with all photography. Totally. You can just have fun with it and mm -hmm. having fun with it makes for great pictures. Well, that's the thing that, you know, coming to your work now and as you scan through your portfolio and your Instagram page, you can see it in your images. It's such a, you can see the, the love for it because there's an energy to your images, a lot of movement. Uh, even though these are still images, I can feel the movement of the cars in a lot of your photos. Um, the compositions that you choose are incredibly, uh, interesting to look at and colorful and vibrant and, these like, are these are all things that are traits of any artistic photographer and i think a lot of people maybe the reason why sports and motor, motocross photographers get a bad rap is because or, or not the respect they deserve is because the getty images that you see are so journalistic and <clears throat> documentary based because at the end of the day if you are freelance to to cover a race aren't they going to expect several just kind of boring yep. like the stock the just, stock crap and and i have to do that too yeah. there's a lot of stuff that will never end up on my instagram or portfolio that i had to shoot as just part of my job and it's amazing you know it's interesting you say that because 
the the Getty guys and the AP guys, they're the most talented photographers on earth mm. and they shoot incredibly beautiful images far better than I can, but nobody sees it because mm. nobody wants to use that. They don't want to use a 15th of a second pan of a race car going around. They want the, the kind With of the blur. boring one of the car crossing the finish line. And that's the only thing that's going to end up in, so in a newspaper. So that's why they get a bad rap. And that's why right. you're probably up in arms. Cause it's like, we're good. Yeah. We're, we, all, <laughs> we all have, we all have this creative talent to, yeah. to show the sport that we're covering in a way that's unique to the way we see it. And very few people, yeah. very few people actually see those images, but I'm very thankful that I have clients that mm -hmm. hire me, not just, they don't, they don't want the boring stock stuff because mm -hmm. that's not necessarily what I'm known for or what I'm good at. I can do it we all have to do it, but I'm very thankful that I have clients like Lamborghini and some of my teams like for next weekend in the Daytona 24 that they don't, they don't want the boring stuff. They want the stuff that makes people feel something about mm -hmm. car racing and the greatest the, the greatest compliment that I've ever received is from people that don't know anything about car racing and they think that car racing looks beautiful by seeing my pictures or by mm -hmm. seeing some of the colleagues that I work with that can that can make people see car racing not just like yeah. as engines and fuel and burning tires and you know something that's not good for the climate or whatever it is sure they can see it in a way that this is this is art and it's beautiful it and, and it's something different than what you normally see. And people that don't understand motorsport at all can still take something away from it and say that car looks fast or that car looks pretty or that mm -hmm. car looks cool. Well, I mean, that's, you're talking about me. I, I know nothing about this uh, industry. I've really never had any interest in racing uh, because NASCAR in the South uh, has Dominates. been such a thing. Yeah. You either love it or you hate it. Yeah. And I was one of the people that just didn't understand it. It's like a bunch of guys go in a circle really fast. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, so, it's not, it's not for everybody, but, um, the images that I'm seeing on your page really invigorate like a lot of emotion. I see the movement, I see the color, I see the art in it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, especially like I'm on your, uh, formula one profile on your website. And some of these images are just incredible, very artistic, very cinematic. Um, and uh, yeah, I want to see a Formula One race. It's now. fun. They they there's two really good ones or three really good ones in North America. There's the Mexican Grand Prix in Mexico City, which is incredible. I love Mexico City, and the fans. There's ninety thousand people that show up for practice day. Wow. And then there's a race in Austin, Texas, which is a lot of fun. Austin's an incredible town. Isn't um, there one here? I thought in like Huntington or something. Uh, no, not Formula One. Okay. Um, Long Beach. You have Long Beach, Long Beach, the Long Beach IndyCar Grand Prix. So I'll be back in April for for IndyCar, Sweet. and then uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Series also runs as part of the same weekend. And then there's a Formula One race in Montreal. So there's car racing everywhere. So you're a staff photographer. Is that still yep. still the case yep. for a GC exclusive? QC exclusive. Yep. So QC stands for oh, Queen, QC. Queen City. So gotcha. that's Charlotte's nickname is the Queen City. Nice. And uh, it's a luxury lifestyle magazine that a couple of friends of mine own it, run it still. And they do an incredible job. It's a free magazine, so you can pick it up anywhere in Charlotte uh, for free. And we we basically pay for it with advertising. Okay. But I'm the staff photographer, so I do a, a lot of food photography and a lot of portraits and a lot of 
various different things that have nothing to do with car racing. And I love it because it definitely (laughs) uses a different side of my brain than the car racing stuff. Everybody can go check this out at qcexclusive.com. Um, and I'm assuming that a lot of the images yeah, a lot on of that it. site are going to be what you've taken. In fact, um, last week, or as we're recording this, technically yesterday, I interviewed a, uh, a full-time food uh, photographer. It's so challenging. Which, uh, that was interesting. And one thing that really stood out with my interview with him um, was it's more like painting than uh than port than taking a picture because what he does is he'll he'll set up his camera and just lock it down yep and then the rest is all up to the art direction yep. and the he's painting with light he's painting with the props and uh yeah it was fascinating because he he started out as a painter so it's really interesting how you know for you you started out as a as a jockey and now you're doing this and then for him he was a painter yep it's interesting how the things that we do as kids and, you know, in our youth really dictate and move forward. Everybody you know, has a, everything. a weird path. Everybody and, does. You yeah. know, there's, there's no one way to the end goal. And that's, yeah, that's something that I, I always try and tell people when they ask me, you know, what, what it was that I did to get where I am. And you couldn't replicate it if you tried. Mm-hmm. No one can. No. And that's the same for anybody that that's you can't, you can't do the same thing that somebody else is doing. That's why it's so hard to give advice to people. It is very because hard. Because it's like, should I go to college? It's like, well, I don't know your life circumstance. I, I didn't need to because I had a self-employed dad who showed me that I didn't need to. And yeah. I, I was able to figure that out. But maybe maybe it's good for you to go to school. I don't know. I mean, what do you think about it? Did you go to college? I did go to college, but I did not take any classes. I still haven't ever taken a class that was related to photography. Okay. So I'm still entirely self-taught i was a history major um so i feel like it's helped me just being able to relate to people all around the world sure uh i understand world history uh because i studied it for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and you know when i travel to these places um like russia and you know abu dhabi and Mm -hmm. europe and just all all over the place you can it's it just is good to know about a place's history good or bad you know there's something to be learned there and so i feel like i had value in just being an educated well-rounded person and being able to write also helped because as a history major we have to write a lot (laughs) so i can now you know i've written a lot of articles for websites and magazines um Mm -hmm. a lot of editorial and and opinion pieces that you know is also like I transfer it to my blog. Yeah, and you, um, you've got a blog. So, so it, it just helps, you know, whether you go to college or not is personal preference. You sure. don't have to study photography to be a photographer. But, you know, being educated in in as many things as you can be yeah. is always a good thing. I think we're coming out. It's a new generation now, and we are coming. We're in this stage uh, in the culture where you really, really, because the Internet is so free and so open and, and so amazing, uh, college has never been so unappealing Yep. because it's like I can literally learn anything in the whole wide world for free with the thing in my pocket. That's never happened in the in history of the University of YouTube. Yeah. So we are living in a very interesting time and I think it's going to take a while for the teachers who are teaching our kids and saying you have to go to college to kind of die out and, yeah. <laughs> and say, you know what? The college is very specific for 
types of career paths where you have to, you know, you're, I want my doctor to go to. Yeah, I don't want my doctor learning how to yeah. cut me open on or YouTube. A psychologist or a, a lawyer or a cop or like very specialized things, of course, you know. Um, but uh, especially if you're in, interested in the creative field, uh, whether you're a musician, a, a photographer, a filmmaker, it's an interesting time. It is an interesting time. You don't necessarily need especially obviously photography used to film is was so expensive and time consuming you had to learn how to develop it yep. and how to shoot it and now it's digital yep you can do it all on your laptop um so you, you do mostly stick with motorsports but you have covered many other sports such as swimming uh the kentucky derby pro women's soccer uh, is there anything else that i'm missing there like done you know, some nfl work um i i like to think that motorsport is one of the most challenging sports to cover so you know because they're going so fast because they're going so <laughs> fast but there's just a there's a lot of different pieces to motorsport it's not just cars on a racetrack there's mm-hmm. the there's the the pit you know the pits and there's the paddock and you have to be able to capture candids and there's just there's the hospitality side of things too so it's not just car racing and cars going around in circles for 24 hours um there's so i feel like it's made me a fairly well-rounded sports photographer where i can you know, show up and shoot a supercross race or an NFL game or a women's national team soccer mm. game and feel like I can I can get what I need out of it. Obviously doing something more than once helps to really learn it, yeah. but I feel like I can go into most things and, and at least come home with something just because I know how to use the camera. Quick interruption with my interview with Jamie. I hope you're enjoying it so far. To remind you guys to share this episode with someone that you think would enjoy this show. Podcasts are built through word of mouth because there's not really an algorithm pumping out this podcast to millions of people. So please do us a favor and share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. While you're at it, go ahead and check out polarpro.com and see some of the awesome products that we make. I'd like to personally thank you guys for listening every single week to the Golden Hour Podcast. Now let's get back to my interview with Jamie. So you're you're well-rounded enough to do everything, and and if if uh, opportunity comes your way and you, you're available, of course you're going to do it because you got to pay the bills, right? Yep, got to pay but, those bills. But your website, your brand, your image is built around motorsports. Do do you do you think that's something that everybody needs to do? Is find a niche and kind of own it, go for it. I would like to say yes, So, but you can kind of break that down into two pieces because I have two Instagrams. So I have the okay. one that I have for car racing, and then I have one just for, for stuff that I do in Charlotte, which is mainly like food, drinks, and local Charlotte sports and stuff like the that. QC exclusive stuff? Uh, yep, QC exclusive. And then I have my own that I run called QC Photographer. So, you know, the motorsport stuff, I know that the people that follow me on on Jamie Price photo just want race cars. That's mm-hmm. that's why they follow me is because they're either a motorsport fan or a mm-hmm. photography fan or some combination of the two. Um but with the QC photographer stuff, it's you know, everything that I can be hired for locally, but honestly at the end of the day, motorsport is what is my passion. That's mm-hmm. what I want to be paid for. That's what I want to be known for. I don't want to be known as as a food photographer. I don't want to be known as you know, portrait photographer. I want to be known as a motorsport photographer. So I put most of my time and energy into the Jamie Price photo brand of motorsport. Sure. But having those two things separated, you know, I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't put my, my food work on my website because I feel like it just dilutes what work I do have on my website. So, and websites now are so cheap. You can go and make a website and, and you could pretend to be three different people and no one would know the difference. Like people, people that (laughs) hire me in Charlotte don't necessarily know. Like I work for restaurants. I shoot food. I, I make part of my living shooting food, not just for the magazine, but I work for a couple of restaurants in Charlotte mm-hmm. and those people, it's always surprising to them. I'm like, yeah, I'm off to China tomorrow or wherever it is to shoot car racing. And you're like car racing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's what I do for but a if, living. But everybody locally knows you but as every, that guy. But, right. Everybody yeah. locally knows me for like food and portraits and the magazine <laughs> stuff. But yeah. the, like, yeah, the need... motorsport thing awesome. is, is kind of, that's that's who I am to me, but I can also wear those mm-hmm. different hats. So, but that's so just like back to the original conversation with the guy at the wedding. That's what you introduce yourself yep. as. That's what you put out there front and center. Yep. But as a freelancer, you know, you want to diversify. You, you have to, to be able to shoot everything. Uh, if it if it gets thrown at you with a with a price tag on it and there's a paycheck, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> because and and don't. You know, I'd I'd like to think that I wouldn't if somebody asked me to go shoot something that I just really didn't feel like was in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. or something, you know, a really big brand wanted me to shoot something that I just, you know, fashion. Like fashion wouldn't be something that mm-hmm. I would necessarily like leap at. Would I figure it out? Probably. Would I be able to do it in the time frame that they wanted me to? Maybe, but yeah. um I'd rather not find out but like simple sure. stuff you know figure it out like go on youtube you know yeah you you know it's the, fun to try it's fun that, and that's the best part of, of photography is is learning how to to take pictures and that's the only way yeah that you can go that's the only way you can learn to be a motorsport photographer is to go to races and shoot car racing you mm. you can you can go out on the street and pan cars going by you know on on the highway it's not a lot of fun, but you can learn that way. But the best way to learn is to go to a race as a fan and bring your camera and practice panning a car that's going 140 miles an hour. Wow. Do you do you bring assistance out with you when you shoot? Occasionally. Um, this coming week. So next weekend is the Daytona 24-hour race, the Rolex 24 um, in Florida. And I'm in a position right now that I have too much work that I've, I've maybe bitten off a little bit more than I can chew. So I honestly feel like I could cover it, but I am bringing a buddy of mine who I trust with my life. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he has to represent me and we have to have a similar style. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't honestly bring assistance or, or people to races often because I honestly really don't trust anyone other than myself and I'm really hard on myself. Mm -hmm. So the pictures have to have a certain quality that I can stand behind that my clients can stand behind. And, you know, because they're going to be posting them, they're going to be sharing them. They're going to be looking at them. And I don't want to have to be like second guessing is this person. I don't want to be there at 3am next, next Saturday night or Sunday morning wondering how my assistant is doing because I can trust my buddy Alex to, to do this. Cause mm-hmm. I don't even have to second guess it. That's cool. So, I mean, are there guys like you guys and girls who, who do hire out off totally. stuff like this? Yep. And I'm, and I'm thankful to be one of them. Like I have a very good friend of mine, um, James Moy, who's English and mm-hmm. he, he hires me for a lot of his work in, 
internationally. So I travel all over the world. We go to France together every year to cover the 24 hours of Le Mans. Um, he's hiring me for a couple of races this year that are happening in the U S and do you assist or second shoot? So technically I become the lead shooter for two of those races, but most of them, like I'm assisting him. So, you know, is that switching cameras, switching lenses? No, just like we're doing it together. He's gotcha. it's his client, his lead. Uh, he so tells me if he wants me to go telephoto or wide, telephoto or, or wide, or go shoot in the pits, or he's going to go out trackside and I'm going to be in the garage, or gotcha. if I need to be go photograph hospitality while gotcha. you know people are eating just dinner. Like, just like a wedding, we exactly. I, you have to have another shooter to cover the groom yep. while you're shooting the bride. You can't so be everywhere, and especially everywhere. on some of these tracks that are because they're not going to redo it. No, they're not going to redo it. <laughs> And some of these tracks are nine, 16 miles long and Mm. you can't be everywhere. So what draws you to sports and motocross over other subjects? I mean, a lot of photographers pursue portrait work or product photography, product photography. I mean, you mentioned you do do some product photography, Um, but you know, you're not working with models. You're not, you're not documenting weddings. Um, No, not a lot. I mean, people are a subject of your work. Uh, Obviously they're the ones driving the thing, but there's also these massive machines that that are a central character in your work. I, I, I guess it's just the racing fan in me that even when I go to, to a race, I am watching the race. I'm just watching it through my viewfinder and mm-hmm. the noise and the spectacle and, you know, these drivers, some of them are, are really famous and they're, they're people that I look up to and some of them have become friends of mine. And it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy to me that, you know, they respect me as much as I respect them and we just do different things. So motorsport in general has just become, you know, it's, it's my life now. It, it went from being something that I love as a fan, but now I'm a fan that gets to go to these races paid to experience these things, capture it for my clients and then share it with the world. And that yeah. to me is like, is the best thing ever that I can I can say that and and go to these places and experience them for other people to enjoy. Are there some tips and tricks that you use to to make a a picture of a car where you're not even able to see the person in the car more interesting to give the car a character? Do you, you know, is it long lens, wide lens, shoot low, shoot high? I mean, is there some... There's not one tried and true rule, but there's there's a lot of things that... You mentioned panning. Yeah, so I'm, I'm always... You know, if, if there's cars going by, um, you know, most professional motorsport photographers are pretty well adept at panning because we have to be. So you're using slow shutter speeds. And I'm not talking like, you know, a 200th of a second. I'm talking, you know, 50th or less. Wow. And to really show, you actually start to see rotation in the wheels at one eight hundredth of a second. So anything slower than that, you're going to start to see movement in the background. Mm. Um higher than that is you're just parking the car on the racetrack. So you don't want it to look like it's frozen unless it, unless you're shooting it head on or something like that. But if the car is going past you, you know, using slow shutter speeds can really make an ugly background, Mm -hmm. a really pretty background because some of these pictures, they're not taken at pretty places, but they, they might have color of some shape or fashion, be it in the curbs or the billboards or grandstands. It doesn't take a lot to make those those yeah. kind of pictures. For example, on your website, if you go to the endurance tab and look at some of the images there, the Formula One images have some beautiful backdrops. But some of these are very basic, like 
racetracks with fences and stuff. But because you're doing the pans, you're able to, to make some of these images really stand out. Yeah, I mean, it's, at the end of the day, the composition is pretty simple. And for me, the race car is always going to be the subject. And I've always tried to look at car racing and motorsport almost like landscape photography. You mm-hmm. have this beautiful landscape, and then you have to put figure out how to put a subject in it. Mm-hmm. And a landscape picture is beautiful, but it needs a subject. So mm-hmm. somehow, some some way, you have to have something to draw your eye, mm-hmm. and it can't just be the mountains. Well, like, it works out that the cars are so brightly colored. Right. Yeah. They're just big, colorful sponsor boards and, and you and some are better than others. You know, the, yeah. you know, um, you know, curses to the, the designers that make gray race cars cause they do exist, but you know, the ones that are pink and yellow and red and orange and yeah. you know bright colors are so much fun. And that's m- motorsport photography is everything you could want as a photographer. It's colorful it's action it has it has the speed um but it also you know we race at i mean the next next race i'm doing after anaheim supercross is a 24-hour race so i get one full circle around the clock to chase race cars so you you know hopefully we'll get a sunrise and a sunset Mm -hmm. we'll get midday you know crap light we'll get a little bit of everything in between and then i'll get 13 and a half hours of darkness (laughs) so you know, there's, you get everything. And as a photographer, you can't ask for a lot more than that to be able to photograph something in, in, you know, those all kinds of conditions. Well, that uh, let's transition that into the gear. Cause I'm a gearhead. Um, you're a Nikon shooter. Yep. Uh, you shoot on a DSLR, Yep. not a mirrorless. Haven't gone mirrorless yet. Um, in fact, uh, when I look at, uh, when I watch NFL, when I watch the Olympics, when I watch, press releases with the president you hear yep, the whole motor, time. motor driving um you you can basically point out every single camera as either a 1d or a d4 or d5 or something um just depending on if you're nikon or canon um i rarely see anything other than that unless they're also shooting video then they might be on a sony right but why is that? Why is Nikon and Canon still the king? And why are these massive chunky DSLRs with this mirrorless technology still the standard for photographers like yourself? Um, I personally haven't tried mirrorless in a motorsport uh, application yet. I know there are people that have. For me, I honestly just don't love the electronic viewfinder. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I was wondering because... There's no lag when you're panning a car when you're looking at a mirror. Right. Yeah, there's <laughs> and and when I hit when I hit the shutter, no matter how good it is, you know, with an electronic viewfinder, it's never going to be exactly what I'm looking at at that very second, mm-hmm. that millisecond. So for me, it's just personal preference. I haven't gone down that route. Um, like the A9 now does, you know, no blackout and all this, this and that, you know. I would I would be open to trying it. the The problem for me is that I never have a weekend where I'm relaxed enough that don't I don't have clients that need pictures mm-hmm. of the quality that I'm I'm you know used to delivering to them. 
I don't, I actually just recently tried, um, Canon USA sent me a, a whole load of equipment and I wanted to try it and I'm, I'm contemplating switching from, from Nikon to Canon. So are you saying that you have the 1DX Mark III right now? I do not. I, <laughs> I was try I was, I was shooting on the, the Mark II. Okay. Um, but Canon said that they'd really like to get me a Mark III to try in, in motorsports and, and see how it of goes. Course. Um, but it's, I, some... I was trying it and it's, it was a huge adjustment to shoot. Like, so I was at Daytona for testing. So we had three days of testing a couple weeks before this coming race for the 24 hour. Mm-hmm. And it was the same clients, you know, the same big names that I'm, I'm used to working with and I'm having to deliver pictures and I'm having to figure out, you know, everything on Canon is backward to Nikon, even to the zoom, like which yeah. way it zooms in and out. Yeah. Well, to clarify what you just said, Nikon is backwards from everyone else. Right. Yes, that's but- true. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, because that's your only perspective. Right, that's my only perspective and Nikon is the only thing that I've ever <laughs> photographed since 2008. But so, it's always so frustrating when I pick up a Nikon, the focus is the wrong way, yep. the zoom's the wrong way, and the way that the lens goes on and off. Why do they do that? I don't know. It's like the I, Brits going the wrong way on I, the road. Honestly, it, it doesn't I'm so used to it now that I don't even think about it, but yeah, when yeah. I picked up the Canon gear, yeah. it was a huge adjustment to having to figure out buttons. It's muscle memory. It was yeah. it's muscle. I could use my D5 with the lights off in the middle of the night with race cars going by mm-hmm. in the rain. I can I know how it works. I <laughs> with know with gloves on. With gloves on. I know exactly <laughs> what it's going to do when when I need it to do it. Yeah. So to learn a completely different system was really challenging and something that it was it was frustrating, but it was also sure. a lot of fun too. Because it, it, it made me realize like, you know, at the end of the day, it's all just equipment. Whether yeah. what I'm using like is just reflecting what I want it to do. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of fun and, and I'm really thankful to Canon for getting me that. Um, so I'm still like trying to figure out if if I'm going to switch, how I'm going to switch because it would be a huge financial investment. You'd have to sell all your lenses. I would have to sell my liver and kidney <laughs> and maybe the, maybe the kid too. Um, I mean, it's like buying a car like cash without financing yeah and yeah. you know it's forty five thousand dollars ish ish to match what you have to match what i have well, so then, then don't do it <laughs> that's ridiculous but but there's but there's a lot of things that what that, do you want that the canon's offering that nikon doesn't um that's a story for another day <laughs> there's some incredible technology with the new 1dx3 i got to play with it and the the kind of ai crazy focus tracking that's going on through the mirror yeah. is pretty amazing kinda... i was i was blown away by the canon autofocus yeah but for for what i'm doing it was incredible yeah it and the incredible. three is even better i can't so. and i'm i i am going to try it and they said that they're going to shoot me a, a also if you kit. ever want to get into youtube now you have like a killer youtube camera. yep i've got a, i've got i'm working on the youtube thing and it's a lot of work i don't know how you do it <laughs> well i mean that's all i do yeah. so that's how um one thing that is really great about your work uh on instagram is you do kind of throw in some cool bts in a way it looks like you put a i don't know is that a gopro or like a small camera on top of your camera it doesn't look like a gopro it looks like a real yeah uh the the point of view stuff is just iphone and and that's the nice thing about car racing is you know they're not going to come by you once they're going to come by you for 24 hours so once i kind of nail my shot or i'm bored or i'm waiting for my client car to come back around and i don't necessarily care about the cars that are coming past me at that very moment, I can just pop my iPhone out and take a picture and they, and it seems to be 
the performance more one. popular it's annoying it, it's really annoying actually but those <laughs> pictures are more popular likes yeah. and comment wise than the ones that i worked really hard to make yeah with the camera and lens but well my friend uh and, and who was a guest on the podcast drew photo uh drew chanelli he he's built his kind of career and following off of uh portrait you know photography and then in a carousel the next image is a bts yep so he's like i you know i was hoping to get more and more work as my following has grown but it turns out all my followers are photographers people just want to see the behind the scenes and i wish i could show more of it there's so much that i i would love to show about what i'm doing like is that NDA stuff you can't? It's or? not even NDA. There's just there's rules with series that they won't allow us to show ourselves working for some reason. Um, okay. But like a couple weeks ago, I was strapped with a climbing harness to the back of a minivan <laughs> with five Lamborghini race cars oh within a few feet behind us. And, you know, it was me and a video guy. And I would love to be able to show that. But for apparently insurance and liability reasons, they won't let us show how we make those pictures i think you can see that image you posted it on january 9th on yeah there's Instagram a couple account. of them floating around too but yeah. they're they're awesome I mean, and it's an it's it's one of those experiences that i get to do every year that if i could if i could show a true behind the scenes of that yeah. of how i made that yeah you know whether it be a video or or even a picture people people it's fa- it's fascinating to people because they don't get to they don't get to see that kind of stuff in regular day-to-day no. life. Like, you know, to be honest, wedding photographers aren't doing car-to-car shoots on the on the speedway banking of Daytona yeah, going with 100 five miles an hour. <laughs> and it's not even that we're doing 100 miles an hour. It's like more like 50, 50 or 60. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's it feels it feels fast, but you're going you're going quite slow. And they're doing it for the pictures. right? They're doing so. it for the pictures. So it's just a cool opportunity that they were allowed to do that. Do you so have I, like walkie talkies and stuff that you're talking to the drivers? All or? hand signals. Okay. Yep. Like scuba diving hand signals. Nice. Like, okay, come closer, go that way, go this way. Yeah. You wear a neck strap or like some, yeah. Sort so of... we have like literally a, a, a roofing harness. Like, so if you're, uh-huh. if you're go to Lowe's, you can go in the section where they sell roofing <laughs> supplies and nice. there's a carabiner that hooks into the minivan that we're hooked into. Mm. Um, and then your it, camera's strapped onto your body. Camera's strapped to you. Lens hoods are off. You know, it's yeah. it's it's not dangerous, but they make it sound sure. a lot more dangerous than it is. But it's a lot of fun, and it's behind the scenes stuff like that that I would love to show, but I can't. Yeah. So I show what I can where I can. Any experiences with uh, drivers that people might recognize that you? Any celebrity drivers or athletes that you've kind of interacted with that were maybe a funny or uh, enjoyable? Uh, experience. I mean, you mentioned just the fact that you you've become friendly with some of these people that you yeah. to is interesting. I mean, most of them are are the the sports car drivers, and they wouldn't be a super well known in the great wider world. Um, but a lot of them have become good friends, and when I see each, like see them in the paddock, you know, we always say hi and high five each other and maybe flip each other the bird just if we're feeling. <laughs> you know, just funny, but, um, yeah. I played, I played ping pong with Joseph Newgarden, who's a two-time IndyCar champion now last year. He's exceptionally talented with, with table tennis. <laughs> I, we, pl- we played for 20 minutes and I scored one point and I was really, really proud of that one point. 
because I actually awesome. I actually earned it off of him. I I actually like you know hit it to the point where he he, wasn't he going couldn't easy. return it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's he was trained by Mr. Miyagi of of uh, <laughs> of table tennis, but. It's just stuff like that. We'll like, have to it, uh, play some table tennis here at Polar Pro. We I'm not it. that good. That was the, <laughs> that was like the whole thing is like he. I didn't know he was that good, and he was like, "You want to rally?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah." <laughs> and we were there just having fun, and I I know him just a little bit, um, and we were just having fun. He's like, "Let's rally," and I was like, "Okay." And very quickly, I learned that I was way outmatched, uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I was like, "All right, well, this isn't going to be a lot of fun for you." But we, you know, it's stuff like that. It's just, you know, you try and, you try and have a laugh and have fun because they're, they are really long weekends that, that I'm working. So when we can relax and just go to the bar, have fun, um, you know, have a glass of wine after, after a race with some of these guys is just the best, the personal time and the personal relationships. It makes it, it makes it a lot more fun to shoot the races because I can a lot of times see into the car and see who's driving because I know what their helmet looks like. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can get, say like, you know, like as they come by, come by me and make a pass on somebody, I can be like, go Jordan, go Ollie, go Tommy. Like it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun to, to have that personal connection with them. Yeah. And they'll, they'll like, I've had drivers, um, flip me the bird while they're driving like <laughs> on, during a race and I don't find it until after and I I'll like text him I'll be like man what are you doing like <laughs> don't like he's like I saw you and I just wanted to say hi in like the most politically incorrect way and I was like thanks for ruining the picture but it's it's just stuff like that you, but it's, it's friendly a lot. Yeah. it's friendly and yeah, and yeah. you know like I don't I don't have any bad bad blood with any of the drivers it's all so a lot funny. of fun we just you know you because I see these guys all over the world. So, you know, you're seeing each other sometimes, you know, more than I'm seeing my wife at home some week, (laughs) like some months, I'll I'll spend like two or three weeks on the road. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'll see these guys in, in different countries. And, you know, you, you say hi and, and you always like, you know, stop to talk and and get drinks. It's, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, have you come across any celebrities that were like in the audience or like just there? I've been within arm's reach of Brad Pitt and, uh, you know, who else? Um, some like, um, famous tennis player, uh, Federer. Yeah. You know, just some, just like a lot of athletes because they do bring a lot of, um, big name celebrities to formula one races, especially to try and draw attention to those races. They basically use them as influencers. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so you, you get a lot of like people that, are not has-beens, but they're like, you know, B-list celebrities. There's a couple of A-listers that have the been people who, around. The people who are on the list to be called for those types of jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, they all come with, you sure. know, Brad Pitt had a full entourage of people and you can't get with, you know, you can't get nice pictures of him because he's surrounded by dudes in suits. Yeah. So, you know, what you do get is is generally a setup photo. It's hard to get a nice candid um Sure. They're very well protected, but you do see a lot of these people at races. So yeah. it's just, it's not really like the thing that I look forward to most. Actually, I kind of dread it because it's just part of the circus that you end up dealing with. And it's, yeah. it's like, oh, so and so's here so-and-so. on race morning. That's the last thing that I want to be dealing with yeah. is, is having to deal with some, some celebrities. And they tell you, you got to take a picture cause they paid for it. So yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a weird part of the culture. It is. 
Um, Formula One is very, I mean, the cars themselves are very expensive and the whole thing is kind of a highbrow version of NASCAR, right? I mean, yeah, that's, in that's the almost, most simple terms, <laughs> that's a v- almost offensive thing to say. It, it's, it's, uh, it's an incredible sport and it's a lot of fun to photograph. Uh, it's challenging because the cars are so fast. They move directions so quickly. Um, so it's, yeah, they're really expensive and, and when you just, you know, you stop and you, you get to like, just stare at one, you know, like close when you're just in the paddock, when they're, when they're kind of lining up to go to scrutineering where they look Mm -hmm. over all the parts and make sure that everything is legal for that race, you stand there and you look at it and it is a work of art. It Mm -hmm. is truly a sculpture of air because that's why Mm -hmm. they've been designed each, every single formula one car, each team makes their own formula one car and Every single curve, bump, line, detail wow. is literally made for one reason, and that's to go faster. So as a photographer, you can look at all of these lines and details, and you, you're, you're seeing art. Somebody has, like, you know, corporations, Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault, um, you know, uh, Alfa Romeo, they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars Why? to make this car and because it's a marketing exercise. Okay. So, so Ford wins, then it's Ford wins. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's great for the Ford brand. I don't know if anybody's seen Ford versus Ferrari, but that's why Ford went racing at Le Mans is to beat Ferrari and to have a better presence to be, to, to market themselves, to be respected, to be respected. Now they're making an electric Mustang yep. SUV. Yeah. So electric car racing is, is, the future sort of kind of um you know it's we're in a weird transition we're in a weird nice place and quiet just be like it's very quiet <laughs> yet they have they have electric car racing now and i mean drag racing with that is really fun because it's like a roller deafening. coaster yeah, it like, is <laughs> deafening it is shake your body i remember like, when the uh model x first came out and i started seeing youtube videos of drag races with that there was like this one with i think it was verse uh you know like a souped up something or rather and the Model X just like smoked it while it was also towing another Model X on a yep. tow. But at the same time, the problem for for these car brands is what sells what sells the cars is people seeing the races. Mm-hmm. And I personally have a hard time imagining what drag racing would be like if you take all of the noise and all of the atmosphere and all of the energy out of that and you just have two cars lined up that when when the green light goes on nothing there's nothing audible other than like some tire noise which isn't even, wouldn't even be that much because they're they're such they're <laughs> such good on their traction yeah that nothing happens it just like rockets off down the track whereas now you're standing there and you're you're truly blown away by the noise and the spectacle of it and the heat the heat and the the fumes and everything it's it's a whole it's a whole thing to experience it if you take all that away does a manufacturer want to put as much money into into that program as they are now it's exciting it's it's interesting because technologically speaking it's more efficient it's faster it's better you know but it's not it's, humans are weird <laughs> humans are weird and they, these are we're in a really we're in a transition and it it definitely yeah. is affecting me because as a photographer i'm being paid by teams and manufacturers and if their marketing budget goes away 
then my clients go away. Mm. So if racing suffers a if racing suffers a downfall of you know not having fans at tracks which there's been some dips and bumps and the recession hit racing really hard you know these race cars are covered from front to tail in sponsors and if the sponsors you know suddenly don't have marketing budget because they've had a bad year you know that's what pays for a race car to be there and if you take all of that away then my clients go away yeah what's one of the shoots that you're you're most proud of creatively that you could speak to um I mean, I would assume that a lot of things on your portfolio, on your website, are going to be some of your favorites. Yeah. So last year, there was two, really. So last year, I did two back-to-back 24-hour races that was within six days of each other. Mm -hmm. And normally, a 24-hour race, it takes me two or three weeks to feel human again. You're you're staying awake for 40 hours. Um, You're not really eating like proper meals the whole time you don't shower you look like a different person between the start and the end of it so i did the 24 hours of le mans uh in june and then six days later the 24 Uh hours of nurburgring started in germany and i was there covering for two manufacturers so and le mans i was there with toyota and then six days later i was covering an entirely different race for 24 hours with aston martin so Jeez. the two that that was probably one of the the races that I'm most proud of or the weeks that I'm most proud of because mm-hmm. physically you have to you have to really push through and you know not feel like you're somebody completely different to yourself <laughs> like I needed a chiropractor and I needed a nutritionist and I needed sleep and yeah. I got none of it. Wow. So that was a lot of fun. It was really challenging but something that I'm I'm proud of and that's not something that is uh necessarily like you've got a finite time as as a grown man to do that i would imagine that in your you know 60s and 70s you're not going to be wanting to do no that i can already i can already tell (laughs) it's very it's hard it's hard doing 24-hour races because you know you really I mean, it's, a second shooter is going to come into play for that. If, yeah, a second, really a second shooter is going to come into play for it. But at the end of the day, I still think that I will, as long as I can do this, I'll still want to be doing it to the full extent of my abilities. Mm-hmm. And you actually would be shocked how quickly 24 hours goes past because you have a shot list and you have all these places that you need to hit. And you can stand at a corner panning for 30, 45 minutes, an hour, and the light's going to change and then the light's going to get really good. And then it's going to be dark and you can do so much in, in mm-hmm. 24 hours that you can, you don't, you don't feel like you need sleep because it goes by so quickly. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the end of it and you, you need to <laughs> shave and you need to shower and you, yeah. you need a meal and you want to sleep for days and <laughs> your back hurts and your shoulder hurts and your head hurts and you're dehydrated, but you feel really rewarded by all of it because it's so challenging and you've made pictures for your clients that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're proud of, you know, maybe like a couple of times my clients have won races. So That's you have the, you have the exhilaration of success that they're sharing with you. You're part of the team. And mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun to be part of that is having that energy. You're all in this boat together mm-hmm. where nobody slept, nobody feels good. And you're celebrating something that hasn't happened before and and if and, they're the winner, your work is being featured everywhere. Yeah, and your work goes everywhere, so it's it's even more important to just nail it. You yeah. can't just hope that you got something. You have to nail it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's awesome knowing that 
you know, that was, that was what ran in the New York times is pictures of Lamborghini winning the race last year. And that to me is really, those are your photos. Those are my photos. And though they don't have my name on them and I, you know, that's fine. Lamborghini paid for that. It's something that I can still be proud of celebrating that win with the team because I'm part of the team. The drivers, you know, they get out and they, they celebrate with me. It's not not just me watching them celebrate with each other. You know, once they're done celebrating with each other, they'll come over and hug you and you're giving high fives and you're proud of all these people because you know them. Mm -hmm. And it's a really cool thing to, to be there documenting that and knowing that those pictures are not just going to be used by mom and dad on Facebook that they're going to be used and seen all over the world by the drivers, their friends, their family, fans of the brand, just sponsors. It's really, it's very cool. Is this a, is this an art or is it documentary shooting? Are you a journalist artist? What do you, what do you, Uh, I call myself a motorsport photojournalist, but I would like to think that, uh, it's more toward the art spectrum, but I do have to, at the end of the day, we're telling stories. Mm-hmm. So my, I'm telling stories of car racing. It's similar to, uh, maybe, uh, not the best to compare it, but a wedding photographer. Exactly. They're, yep. they're doing, they're documenting the wedding, yep. but then also it needs to be artistic. Yep. So exactly. That's exactly how I approach every, every race is, you know, if this is only going to happen once, how can I tell it in a yeah. way that is is special so you went from being a uh, a jockey to living in england ireland riding on uh, mountainsides and getting into photography that way doing uh, lawnmower racing trucks nascar formula one going up a mountain now you're doing like everything <laughs> yep, it's, it's really amazing li- career. living the dream how many years is that total then um, I starting with your first time you took a photo of a horse, 2009. So 10, yeah. 10 years, it's 10 years basically. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. 11 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We kind of touched on it. Uh, how you get, you know, to kind of summarize this up for somebody who wants to do what you're doing. What's kind of your biggest mistake or the biggest thing that you've learned along your journey that you could share to someone? I don't know that there's really mistakes. I mean, everybody's made mistakes, but people that people that are really serious about wanting to, to shoot car racing or sports in general, you're not going to make a portfolio at the top levels of something. You have to start at the bottom and, and understand photography and understand car racing and understand light and just how to use your camera in those situations. So having, you know, just going to racetracks, going to baseball games, going to football games, going to track meets, going to whatever it is that you want to cover as a sports photographer, you know, high school, college, there's, you don't have to be covering Clemson games or, or Tennessee games or, you know, NC games, you can, you can cover, you know, stuff with, little kids peewee football Mm -hmm. and it's it's going to teach you something and you can still make really nice pictures probably nicer than you can at any big big sporting event because at the access access. and no one is there bothering you you're all alone Mm. you can do it as long as you have permission as long as you have permission (laughs) but it's it's the exact same with car racing and that people can go to these races or lower rate, lower level races like lawnmower races, or karting events, and just stuff like that, where 
no one's going to bother you. You're going to pretty much be out there all alone. And it's just you that's your competition. And there is money to be made there too. It's not just like go have fun and take a couple pictures. There's actually money that sure. you can make there. There's a lot of parents that would buy There's pictures of There's a lot of, the of parents that will buy pictures of your of their kids in a go-kart. Yeah. And people make a living doing that. And if you can do it well, you can really, you know, start building that portfolio and climbing the ladder mm -hmm. because those kids will eventually go on if they're good enough they'll go on to be professional race car drivers mm -hmm. and that those kind of those kind of um networks and and just people that you meet you never know you never know and those have become some of my best clients is the people that you know kids that start car racing when they're pretty young in their teens they then go on to to start driving bigger stuff and they bring me along with them they say i want Jamie to be the team photographer. Great. I get another client out of it. And it's a, <laughs> and it's a real client and that's genuinely it's the a lot of my build. work and it's the relationships you build. So don't just say like, I want to go shoot F1 or I want to go shoot Le Mans and I want to go shoot IndyCar and nothing else mm -hmm. because if you're good, you'll get there, mm -hmm. but you have to start at the small stuff so that you can get there eventually and nothing happens quickly. It sounds like, too, uh, don't go to car shows where cars are just parked. Go to places where they're moving, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, that's, it's not really my thing to go to car shows. Um, it's, I mean, there's a lot of photographers that do there's that. A, there's a lot of car spotters uh, that, that go to those types of, th types of things. But it's hard. You're surrounded by you know, thousands of people. And it's, yeah. it's impossible to get a pretty picture of a car at a car show, like clean. You're never going to get a clean picture of a car at a car show, or it's going to be very, very rare that you do. Yeah. So if, if your goal is to, to shoot automotive stuff, you know, go to car shows or go to your local, you know, cars and coffee stuff and hand out a business card with your website or your Instagram and make sure that the best stuff is on your Instagram and your website and not pictures of your cat and your, mm -hmm. you know, cousin's birthday. Like make it, if you want to shoot cars, shoot cars and make a, make a separate account for that. Make a separate account and you will quickly find that doors start opening. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're decent and you can, you can relate to people and talk mm -hmm. to people. One thing that I just kind of thought of that, that I think is interesting for, for your genre of photography is it, it kind of is like pretty obvious that, you still have to really hire a photographer to do this work. It's not because you're using such telephoto lenses and because you're doing so many things that require manual shutter speed selection, like these images that are on your site and on your account, there's they're impossible to take on your iPhone. Like yep. it's just not something yep. you can iPhone do. iPhone photography has not even dented <laughs> the the motorsport photography. And if anything, it's actually uh helped us a little bit because you know the, a lot of the press officers they will they will pull up a they'll pull up their phone and take a quick picture you know on the grid or of the podium but it's not going to be good enough to put in a press release mm -hmm. you need a professional photographer and same thing with video you, video hasn't hasn't killed the professional photography like market for motorsports yet. And I don't really see that it will either because what we're doing is very different. There's, I work alongside videographers all the time and what mm -hmm. they're doing and what I'm doing is completely different. They're not shooting at a 15th of a second. No, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're shooting using reds and crazy things to get interesting. Exactly. You know, so shots. we can all, we can all coexist That's and it's great. Cool. It's, it's an exciting, uh, interesting 
uh, niche to get involved in. I've and we need to interview more people. Maybe you can hook me up with some other. Yeah, I I have I, honestly like it's I, I work with so many people that really push me to be more artistic and better. And you know, I could give you a hundred names of people that I really look up to and respect and all of them would say something different to what I'm saying and, and, you know, have the same passion for it because you can't, you can't travel as much as we do and not be passionate about cars. Mm-hmm. But I work alongside and, and against as quote competition with some of the best photographers in the world. And they just make you want to be a better photographer and yeah. nobody really looks at each other as, as competition or, you know, I, I don't like you. It's, you know, I want to, like we look at each other's pictures and say, man, I wish I'd taken that because that's an awesome picture. And it makes you want to go out and do something different or better. And, you know, that's the great thing about car racing is you can't replicate it. You, mm-hmm. every, every single time that car is going to come by or every single race weekend, it's going to be different. The weather is going to be different. Your location's different. The location's going to be different. The lens is going to be different. It's just such a fascinating uh, genre of photography, and we're just honored to have you on uh, this episode, Jamie. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much. It's been uh, it's been an time. honor. Yeah, this is awesome, and we'll have to have you back or uh, get some of your buddies on here. I'll I'll give you some names. Let's do it. Thanks again, Jamie, for coming on. Everybody, go check him out on his website and Instagram account. Cheers. Cheers. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Jamie Price. It sure was a pleasure getting to know him and hearing his story. Again, it was really fascinating for me to interview a motorsports photographer and and just a sports photographer in general. I think I really learned a lot in this interview. And at the end of my interview with Jamie, he actually gave me some contacts of some of his friends that do motorsports and other sports photography that I will try to connect with and have on the show. We're trying to have a large variety of creators on the Golden Hour podcast this year in 2020. 20, so make sure to stay subscribed to the podcast to find out who is next. Again, we'd like to thank you guys for listening every single Tuesday to the Golden Hour Podcast. Once again, I'm Dave Mays, and we'll see you next week.